you open up to Acts chapter 15. Open up to Acts chapter 15. Oh. My backpack's not up here. <laughs> this, oh, here it is. Okay, so I need my stuff. So I'm so excited that I didn't grab my stuff. But here's what I want to tell you, even as I'm grabbing it out of here. If you're at a church that does topical sermons, and I'm not saying one way or the other, uh, you know, topical sermon, nothing wrong with the topical sermon here and there, but this isn't a chapter you'd normally pick. I mean, this is Acts chapter 15, which is fascinating because if you count the actual words of Acts before 14, or excuse me, before 15 and after 15, 15 is dead right in the middle. And a lot of people don't do a sermon about this because it centers around a theological debate. And when you tell people that you're getting ready to preach on a theological debate, most of them do what my friend James does, who's not here. I love James. He's at a different Calvary. They fall asleep. Sorry, James. It's my friend. He's my friend. Come on, relax. Lighten up. Uh, he, he always falls asleep. He came to our home fellowship for 11 years, and we always counted on James. But right, I mean, uh, I mean, a theological debate. Most people. And but what I would say to you is hang in there. And the reason I'd say hang in there is because if you understand what the theological debate solved, you're going to jump up out of your seats and praise the Lord. I think so. It changes everything. In fact, the, uh, the person who uh, started the Calvary Chapel movement, a pastor by the name of Chuck Smith, wrote a book that says, Why Grace Changes Everything. If you understand grace, God's grace, your life will be transformed. And here's what most people in America, in the American church, think grace is. And it couldn't be farther from the truth. They think grace is a crutch to sin. Oh, you know, if I look at that or if I say this to somebody, if I rip off my, you know, employer, come on, God will forgive me. And Paul says in his writings, that's sheer stupidity. Nobody who is transformed by the grace of God would do that. That's what he says. And so this debate has a central impact or a, an impact, a great impact on you and I. If you'll catch the debate, if you'll hang in long enough to understand the ramifications of this debate, your life, God will use it to transform your life. Here's where I would say he would transform it. I can't believe Beck and the worship team sang about freedom today. Maybe he was paying attention and knew what we were going to teach on, and he selected those songs accordingly. And if he did, praise the Lord. Because freedom, I want you to write this down. When we talk about Christian freedom, or when the Bible talks about Christian freedom, in America, here's what we kind of think. Oh, that gives us the right to do anything we want to do. That's not the freedom of the Bible. The freedom of the Bible, Christian liberty, listen to this, 
It enables you to live your life like God always intended you to live. In perfect dependence upon him and fully ablaze for his glory. Now, are you catching that? Freedom is not doing what I want to do. That's what the world says. And in fact, what's really ironic about the world's idea of freedom, doing what I want to do, actually puts us into more bondage. We're in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. You've heard that. And it's so true. Bondage, sin binds and is bound, or binds us up. But what does Christian freedom do? Christian freedom gives us the freedom, the liberty of joy and no burdens and being accepted. Listen, folks, you're, you're, you're sort of glazed over here because we've been g- going a little bit. But if you catch the fact that in Jesus Christ you're accepted, think about it. How many people live in complete insecurity and anxiety? And go to places and pay money to try and get helped. Because they don't feel secure or settled or peaceful. And this debate solves it all. It gives you freedom. The freedom to live in communion with God. The way in which he always intended you and I to live. Walking and talking with him. In communion accepted. I can't get over accepted. I came from a sports background. And I can remember even in second grade, first grade, they would say, now you go over there and you go over there and you pick. And you'd be sitting there like, oh man, I hope they pick me. And when you didn't get picked, it was catastrophic. It felt bad. Or has anybody ever excluded you from a group and you've not felt accepted? How's that feel? But the creator of the universe here says you don't have to strive and to strain anymore to be accepted because in Christ alone you are. And you're free. You're free to be who you are in Christ. You don't have to be like me and I don't have to be like you. The Holy Spirit comes in. We, we have differences and yet we're unified. It's so freeing. We don't have heavy burdens on us anymore. We're free just to love the Lord. Isn't it great? They ask him, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And he just says, hey, just love me and love others. You talk about freedom. Wow. So this debate solves all of that. So hang in there with me for the next two hours. Here we go. And certain men, verse 1, came down from Judea. Do we have the map? If we have the map, great. We got Dan. Give your hand to Dan. I, I, think, I think this is Dan's first day. I could be wrong about that, but... It is, and Dan is like this. So thanks, Gabe. Thanks, Dan. So look, we're down here in Judea. And it says that certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Now, taught them what? We're talking about people who were in the church. We're going to learn this here in a minute. Who are Christians. Who come actually on your map. They're going to go up to Syrian Antioch. 
and they're going to teach something that's not right. And so I want you to know that in Antioch and in Jerusalem, there's the two big centers of the Christian church now after the first missionary journey. Everybody tracking with me. Two big Christian centers. There's churches otherwhere or other places, but there's a big church in Antioch. There's a big church in Jerusalem and they're central, but there's one big difference between the two. Anybody know? In Jerusalem, they're almost all Jewish who followed the Jewish laws that are found in that great and fantastic book, and that's not sarcasm, Leviticus. And the people in Antioch are people who are Gentile. They're not Jews. So they didn't follow the laws in Leviticus and elsewhere. And one other thing, in Genesis 17, God made a covenant with the nation of Israel and said, all your men are going to get circumcised. And you all know what circumcised is. So you had circumcision as a sign between God and the people of Israel that he was going to shine his light out through the nation of Israel. And he was going to share his love with the world. That was their covenant. So you got big issues here. You got people coming from Jerusalem and they're going up to Antioch and they say, hey, listen, brothers, sisters, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Now, here's what I want you to know. This is a huge debate. I mean, you're sitting here today and can you imagine that debate? Because as I look around, I only see one or two people who, who are Jewish. The rest of us are Gentiles. And the debate was not that they could be saved. That was solved in Acts chapter 10 when Peter had the vision and he met up with Cornelius. Do you remember all that? And God said, oh, hey, all the foods are clean, all that sort of thing. So the debate is not whether Gentiles can be saved by the time we get to chapter 15. The debate is, what do Gentiles have to do in order to be into the family of God, to have salvation? And the pharisaical following Jewish Christians, they were Pharisees. They were a religious sect. Uh, they believed in the strict obedience to the law. They were coming up from Jerusalem and saying, hey, we got to have a talk here, Antioch. And the talk we got to have is, we recognize you're mostly Gentiles, but in order for you to have salvation, it's Jesus plus circumcision, and you have to follow the law. That's the debate. Does everybody understand the issue now? In fact, they would call, most people talk about uh, these folks who came behind Paul as he moved from church to church, sharing the good news of Jesus, they would talk of these people who did this as Judaizers. Everybody with me? So unless you're circumcised and, uh, according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas, remember, 
These folks, Paul and Barnabas, had just completed their first missionary journey. Paul being Saul, a killer of Christians, he himself was a Pharisee. Isn't that interesting? And Barnabas, this man, the son of encouragement, who was part of the early church, who was very generous, and he was also called, if I said this, it's because I'm black asleep, but anyway, I'll say it again, son of encouragement. He was an encouragement, encouraging guy, and he actually was the uncle of a guy named John Mark who left the first missionary journey, and we're going to see him at the end of this chapter. Okay, I'm just sort of setting this up. So these two had no small dissension and dispute with them, the Judaizers. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain of others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Now, I want you to just see something here just right off the bat. If you're Paul and Barnabas and you're up in Antioch and you get some guys that come up there with some strange doctrine or some doctrine that's off, your temptation might be to just kick them out and not listen. But apparently they listened and they decided by being sent by the church in Antioch, hey, this is so important. We want you to go down to Jerusalem and settle this question once for all. Now let's take a little break here. I want you to settle this question once for all. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. He accomplished all that he ever needed to accomplish in perfection at the cross. And he died and rose again so that you could have new life. So the Bible tells us in the very famous passage uh, in Ephesians, you always go there, I always go there. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, this. For by grace, there's that word again, by the way. We see it all throughout Paul's writings. We see it all throughout the book of Acts. For by grace, you have been saved. How? How do you plug into the grace of God? By faith. You trust through faith. And you've, it's not of yourselves. Listen to this. It's a gift. Uh, folks, folks, listen to me. Anytime you see the word gift or giving in the Bible, it's God's grace. It's his disposition out of his goodness to give. And here you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift from God in order for you to receive a gift. If I walked down here and gave Dom the egg that we play up here, and I said, this is your gift. What does Dom have to do? Here it comes, Dom. He has to receive it. But it doesn't become his gift until he receives it, right? Here it is. The Lord's holding out salvation for all. But we have to receive. And you read that in the first chapter of John. That's tough with glaucoma, but I did it. All right, good. 
And John says that in the first chapter, to those who receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. Are you all tracking with me? This is important. It's a gift of God, and here's, here's what it is. Listen to this. Watch, right here, right here. Paul is telling you in Ephesians, the, uh, uh, a letter that happened later, that the issue was solved at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, right here. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, because the law put a burden on people. Was the law good and holy and right? Yes, because what it showed, Xander taught about it today, it showed, it brought to the surface that you can't measure up spiritually and that you and I and we need a savior. That's what the law does. But it puts a burden on you because I don't know about you, but I like to measure up. I sort of in my flesh like works. You know why? Because then I can compare myself to you. And I can say, hmm, wow. You imagine how many Bible studies I've been to this year. Oh. Or maybe I could say, you know, I put more money in there than in all of you. I haven't, but I could say stuff like that. Or I could say, I'm the pastor. I'm here all the time. Where are you people? Isn't that awful? Even when you hear me say it, you don't like it, and I don't even like saying it. But I got news for you folks. That's how a lot of people in the Christian world live. They think if I just be a good little boy or a good little girl and do my prayers in the morning and do all this sort of thing, then, oh, then, you know, I'm going to be better than him. Because here's the thing. There's something in our flesh when we're not in the spirit that likes to measure. We like to do this and we like to compare with others. Come on. Am I the only one? Nobody. All right. Well, anyway, you guys amazingly spiritual. So, but that's okay. You, you get the point. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. Yes, we would boast. That's what, that's what external religion does. It boasts. It puts burdens on people and it boasts and it says, wow, you're not doing what I'm doing. And I went to Hungary and you didn't. And that's so icky. I don't even know if that's a word, but it is icky. It's just awful. It's dripping with terribleness. And yet many live like that. So this debate, is it Jesus and nothing else for salvation? Or is it Jesus plus something else? Is it Jesus plus circumcision? Is it Jesus and I have to follow the dietary laws and the ceremonial laws? Is it all of that? And this becomes the debate that they're having. And it's why we get to sit here today and say, oh, I'm free. That's what this is about. Because you could never measure up, etc. 
So here you go, you got this dispute, and it's no small dispute. And so they go by, uh, they, verse 3, being sent on their way by the church, they pass through Phoenicia and Samaria. Now, we don't have Phoenicia there, but it's inward a little bit and coming down, and they go to Samaria. This is beautiful. This is telling you the difference right here between a grace-based Christian and a burden-laced uh, Christian or a person who has the burden of measuring up. It tells you right here, watch. When they went down, Paul and Barnabas, they go through Phoenicia and Samaria, they describe the conversion of the Gentiles. Watch this. And they cause great joy to come to all the brethren. (laughs) You're like, why is he getting so excited about all of that? Because where a spirit-filled, grace-filled Christian goes, joy is being spread. You remember this now. And where a person who majors in the externals goes, there's always heavy burdens. I'm going to just let that simmer there for a minute. And I just pray that where we go, as we move out uh, into our schools, into our workplaces, into our extracurricular activity, all the while being filled up with the Holy Spirit and impacted by God's grace that you're causing, that we're causing great joy to me among the brethren. Joy, this deep abiding happiness and blessedness, not impacted by circumstances. What? were they rejoicing over in these churches? Listen, folks, they were rejoicing over what heaven rejoices over. Salvation. Isn't it great when someone just gives their life unto the Lord? One, ten, a thousand, but one, just one. All of heaven. I mean, the angels are looking over heaven, Peter tells us. Ah! looking over heaven to see the salvation of the men and women. That's what the angels do. And when somebody surrenders their life to Jesus, there's great joy in heaven, the Gospels tells us. These men and and women too, when they're going, but these men here as they're moving down are spreading joy to all the brethren because they're telling of the glories of Christ in salvation when they had gone on their first missionary journey. You see that? You want to know what to talk about at a party? Well, here you go. You know how easy it is at a party to share the gospel? It's so easy. You can do it. The Lord will give it to you. I mean, you're there at the party. The vodka's flowing. Try to stay away from those parties, but you know what I'm saying. You just bring out the can of Coke or the ginger ale. You, you, as soon as you bring out the can of Coke or the ginger ale, if you really want to share the gospel, it's over. Because you're going to share the gospel, and here's why. Because they're going to say, hey, what are you doing? Why are you uh, drinking ginger ale? You say, well, you really want to know? Yeah, I really want to know. Sure. Well, I used to be a heavy drinker. The life of the party... But God came into my life and saved me from my sins and filled me with the Holy Spirit, and now I'm a follower of Christ. 
Oh, have a nice day. <laughs> but you've just shared the gospel. And so everywhere we go, wherever we're doing, wherever we're going, oh, just spreading the joy of salvation. Oh, don't leave now. Don't leave on me. Don't tune out. Here it is. They're going down to Jerusalem, and they don't miss the opportunity. You understand? This Bible passage is telling us they had a purpose going to Jerusalem. Here's the difference between me and my wife. I would have been walking down to Jerusalem saying, come on. We got to be there by four. My wife would have stopped <laughs> and told about the joys, and I would have missed it. And I want you to see that here. They didn't miss the opportunities. They didn't miss the opportunities. Here they are going to an important meeting. Well, they stop and share. And when they'd come to Jerusalem, verse 4, they were received by the church, the apostles, the elders, and reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Here you go. You understand the debate now, right? You all get it. The Jerusalem Council in the middle of the book of Acts, because it's so central to everything we believe. Is it Christ or is it Christ plus other things that gets us to heaven? Remember the video we showed of Alistair Begg on Easter? He said, I don't know about all that, but the guy in the middle said I could be here. Wow. Believing and trusting in the guy in the middle. Well, the apostles in verse 6 and the elders came together to consider the matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rises up. Oh, Peter. By the way, this is the last time you'll ever see Peter in the book of Acts. This is the last uh, description of him. You see his writings later in the New Testament. But he gets up and he says, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's Acts chapter 10. That's several years ago now. Some say 13 or 14 years Prior to this, Acts chapter 10 took place. And uh, he had been sharing. And so the word of the gospel and believe. Verse 8, so God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And made no distinct... What makes you a Christian, by the way? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And how is he in you? by the Spirit of Christ, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. That's how you're a Christian. It's not because you adhere to rules or do this or do that or give money or show up at the prayer breakfast. It's because the Holy Spirit of God lives in your life. Oh, man, praise the Lord. Christ didn't just leave you here and said, try your best. He said, I'll give you the Spirit of God the helper, and you're going to do greater things. Amazing. So the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts. How? By adhering to the law, by getting circumcised. No, by faith. You come into the family of God, whether you you're, live in Africa, you live in Europe, you live in South America or you live in America, you, you come into the family where you grew up in this sort of economic situation or that sort of economic situation or you have different cultural 
you know, uh, things that you participate in. All of us enter into the family of God, and there's no distinction uh, between us based on the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross and his resurrection and the spirit of God that indwells you. There's no distinction. Isn't that wonderful? So let's get about this, folks. Why don't you call somebody that looks different than you, that believes different than you, or worships different than you this week? Why don't you do it today or tomorrow and have lunch with that person and share life with them in Christ? Let's not have a homogenous, is that the right word I'm looking for? Group. Pray that the Lord would bring us together in Christ. That's what I pray, that we would be multi-whatever-you-want-to-say earthly differences, but one in Christ here at Calvary or among the body of Christ. Yes. So why? Because you're purified. Your hearts get purified by faith, not by adhering to rules. You know what we all think? I remember when somebody shared the gospel with me. (laughs) I kept saying to them, that's way too easy. You're lying. I would say this to the guy. I don't think you're right. I got to do this. I got to do these things. And also, before I become a Christian, you ever heard this? I need to do more and more of these things so I can be good and come to him. Well, that's not what this is telling you. By faith, what happens is your sins are forgiven. You come to Christ and he cleans you up and you're purified by faith. All of us, all of us are. It's beautiful. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples? Listen, he describes being back under the law and all these different requirements other than just believing and trusting in Christ as a heavy yoke. Have you ever heard of a light yoke? Yeah, you have. It's when you yoke up with Jesus. He said you'll have a light burden. It won't be burdensome and you'll have rest. Jesus said that. But here he says, why do you... Test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. <laughs> it's funny too, man. Can you imagine being a proponent of Christ plus all of these other things in your heritage as a Jewish person when you know the law is given and within about one day they're having an orgy with a golden calf? I mean, it didn't take too long to sort of show them that they didn't have the resource and strength to live a purified life. Am I right? (laughs) Just one day. (laughs) And you know, you could go through the whole history of Israel. Why did they get put into exile? Because they slid into idolatry. I mean, it was diabolical. And even in Nehemiah 13, do you know what Nehemiah 13 talks about? That the Jewish people disregarded the Sabbath and they had... Um, linked themselves with many pagan women. So the whole Jewish history is filled with a yoke that they couldn't live up to. You get? That's what Peter is saying. And Peter is Jewish, folks. So here's what he keeps saying. But ver- verse 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Now, I got to tell you something. That is such a tremendous statement. 
and you're not figuring out why, and you're going, this kid guy up here is crazy. Why is that such a tremendous statement? Well, it's tremendous because of the grace of God, number one. But here's the second tremendous thing. If I were Peter and I was delivering this speech, I would have said, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jewish people can be saved. And oh, by the way, so could the Gentiles. But I want you to see something here. It says, he, we shall be saved. Who's he saying when he says we? He's saying Jewish people can be saved in the same manner as they. You catch what I'm saying? You see, when you grew up Jewish in this time, a Gentile was somebody you didn't associate with. You couldn't go there. You, become, you couldn't go to their house. You become ceremonially unclean. And here, God has wiped away this distinction in Peter. Did you catch it? He gave honor to the Gentiles first. That's what Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit and grace do. They give preference to others. Oh, man, do we need to hear it? I've seen the Facebook post from evangelicals. It's awful. It's disgusting. My way or the highway. My way or the highway. Listen to me. Masks, vaccines, blah, 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 blah. No preference to anybody. Here, this deep-seated, rooted hatred and prejudice has gone away in Peter. But he did struggle with it. Do you know that? If you read the book of Galatians, right around this time, Peter had to learn his lesson. He actually was being very hypocritical, Peter was. That's why it's so astounding what he's writing here. When Jewish people would come and see him with Gentiles, he would remove himself from the Gentiles so that they wouldn't see him eating together. And Paul, it actually says, comes face to face with him and has to rebuke him for doing this hypocritical thing. It talked about it in Galatians. And so why am I saying that? Look, we're all a work in progress. And the Lord is going to keep at it and keep at it. And he does it with Peter. And here Peter can write, we get saved just like them. He gives deference to the Gentiles. It's, it's astounding to me. God's eliminating the prejudice in Peter's life. I love it. Then the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul. Or, or, kept silent. They got done with this debate. And it's as... Do you know what the word sublime means? I had to look it up the other night. I always get it mixed up. I know. I'm not that smart. Sorry. <laughs> it means so spectacular and almost holy. And I think that's what happened here. They were watching this debate, and they're going to come down on the side that they came down on. And when they saw it, listen, the whole place got quiet. They're like, whoa. We're in on something that's going to matter into eternity here. And so they do. They keep silent. And then they listen to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Now, watch. They keep talking about the grace of God. Go back just a little bit. We believe that through the grace of the God of our Lord Jesus, uh, we shall be saved. Let's talk about the grace of God. I'm going to give you the definition again. I gave you this definition the other night. Uh, but I don't care. It's so spectacular. Or I even gave it to you last week. It's so spectacular. You got to read it. Can we put up the first quote of Alan Redpath on uh, the grace of God? Can we put that up? Listen, if I, oh, uh, yeah, the other one, the other one. Yeah, here you go. What does Paul mean by grace? 
It's just one word which sums up all the blessings which come to our lives. Listen, undeservedly from God through Jesus Christ. Primarily, the word grace describes a disposition in the very nature of God, in his character, which is revealed in his eternal, unchanging. And I, uh, what does it say? Uh, in his character, which was revealed in his eternal, unchanging, I don't know, and in his pardoning love, I typed it wrong, and in his pardoning love, okay, you got that? Uh, this is grace. What do we got here? This is the next one. All right. I, I want you to see in that first one, I, I have to open that up in the mornings, because when I hear about the grace of God, the first one that I showed you there is talking about grace. What is grace? We think of it sometimes as just being forgiven, like if we mess up, but that's not what grace is. It flows from the heart of God and the heart of God is kind and loving and out of it springs what? Action. That's grace. Action. Now give me that second uh, uh, definition. If I asked you, not that one, next one. Nope. Next one. If I asked you to define the word grace, perhaps you would say it's the undeserved loving kindness of God, which has met us in our sin and need. Yes, grace is that, but it's far more than that. Do we have that part? Okay. Uh, it's far more than that. It comes, as Paul says here, from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father is the source, and Jesus Christ, listen to this, is the channel through whom it comes. Grace, therefore, is Christ's life of purity and wholeness. It's his death that was sufficient to pay the price for your sins and his present ministry by which he imparts the Holy Spirit today, enabling us to die to sin and live in his power. We still there? Okay, cool. Uh, it seems to me that grace in the New Testament is that which brings into our lives, listen to this. I want to jump up and down here. Because I don't know about you sometimes, but I don't know if I'm always delighting God in my, uh, in my flesh. In fact, I'm not. But look, there is grace uh, in the New Testament that which brings into our lives everything that delights the heart of God. I, You're looking at me like, what do you mean? You want to know how to please God? Live by the Holy Spirit in his grace and he'll give it to you. He actually gives you the grace to please him. So there's grace to make me like the master, grace to give me triumph when I otherwise I would fail, grace to make me patient where I would be impatient, grace to enable me to glorify Jesus in every situation. Are you concerned about pleasing God? Let me remind you that he has always already placed within you that possibility, his life, his character, his spirit. That's by Alan Redpath in a, a book that's a commentary on 1 Corinthians. And it's the best definitions of grace I've ever seen. Because when I read, listen, when I read, we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. And now you plug in the definition, you go, oh my. It is salvation, but it's much more than that. It's grace to live every day. And the Bible tells us here in the book of Acts that the church is to continue in the grace of God. Oh, aren't you so happy about that, that God gives you the grace? Well, all right, I'm excited about it. Anyway, uh, 
verse 12 we read, all the multitudes keep silent. Uh, how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them, they were testifying about. And after they'd become silent, James, who's James? Not the one who got killed earlier. This is the half-brother of Jesus right here, James. And apparently, he is the leader of the early church because, in Jerusalem because they come to him to get the approval or the, or the decision. That's this James. And James answers and says, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon, or Simon Peter, has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And he goes back and he tells them, and he uh, uh, shares with them Amos chapter 9, where it says, or 9 through 10, and it says here that even all the Gentiles, look down in verse 17, who are called by my name, says the Lord. In other words, the Lord's plans and purposes the whole time was not just to save the Jews, but also to save the Gentiles. So he's telling everybody, relax. That's what James is saying. James, yes, this is a great thing to celebrate. It's according to God's plan. Look at verse 18, known to God from eternity or all his works. Therefore, I judge. James, he's the judge here. He's the arbiter. That means he's the leader of the church. That we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles, who are turning to God, but that we write to them to do a couple things. This is even, this is so. In the early church, you know what the early church did? They had all this freedom. Remember Paul talked about these, this meat in a different part of the Bible. Talk, but Paul talks about this meat that was sacrificed to idols. Paul said, I could walk by, take a fork, boom, pop it in my mouth, no guilt, no, nothing. I, I was free to do that. I was saved. He said, but I was really bothering the people who were ingrained with that, uh, 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 you know, uh, practice of not eating certain foods. So what I did, Paul says in his writings, is I gladly, I want you to hear that, I gladly refrained from eating the steak because I knew that it would trouble my brother or sister, and I didn't want to stumble them. Now, James has sort of that same attitude. He's saying now to the Gentiles, listen, listen, hey, Gentiles, you don't have to get circumcised physically or follow the law and customs of Moses, the dietary laws or anything like that. But hey, listen, this is so great. Hey, listen, if you're around and you're involved with the people who are Jewish, you gotta stay away. Could you please stay away from things that are polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood? You understand, these were all things, oh, here it comes again, you gotta know this book. They're all found in Leviticus 17 and 18, every one of those uh, cautions. Three of them are dietary things, no blood, all that sort of thing, kosher thing. The other one about fleeing sexual immorality, well, yeah, flee sexual immorality, but in Leviticus 18, it says, you can't marry some of the people in your family. Don't be sexually immoral. Why? Why? You're free to do these things, not be sexual immoral. You know what I mean. You're free to do these things. You can do these things but you're going to stumble people that are in the church, Jew 
and Gentile. You're going to stumble them, so stay away from that. In fact, so, so I want you to see something. Oh, man, do I want you to see this, and we'll quit for the day. It doesn't always have to be your way or the highway. In these things that are non-essential, you see here something essential. They can't not pastorally stand up and say, eh, Jesus plus. No, it's not Jesus plus. Paul and Barnabas have to stand up there. But when it comes to the secondary issues, listen, don't fall asleep. Paul says, I want you, or Paul and now James says, I want you to think of others before yourself and those issues. Wow. After what we've been through for the last three years, I'm just going to say it plainly. I didn't see much of that in the Christian church. I saw it was either our way or the highway. And here, Paul and now James, it seems to me that people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are living by the resource of the grace of God, in the essentials, they can't give that up. But in the secondary issues, they defer. Wow. Okay, just know this, in verses 22 here now, James and uh, the staff at Calvary, or excuse me, at uh, the church, (laughs) I almost said Calvary, at the church in Jerusalem, write a letter up to Antioch and say, folks, it's okay if they don't follow circumcision and the law, it's okay. And then verse 30, watch this. So when they were sent off, They came to Antioch, and when they had gathered multitude together, they delivered the letter, and when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. What a blessing. Hey, folks, in the essentials, I don't want you to give up, but in the secondary issues, I want you to defer. They went, how dare you tell us how to live our life? No, they didn't. They said, ah, what encouragement. Praise the Lord. What an opportunity to show Christ to the outside world. And Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for the time, they were sent back with greetings from the brothers to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. You want to know how to grow in the Christian life, folks? There's no substitute. There's absolutely no substitute. You have to learn, and I have to learn, and we have to learn and apply and be doers of the word. In order to be a doer of the word, you have to know the word, and there's no substitute. You can walk into the Christian bookstore, if you call it Christian, and you can see the seven keys to happiness, or do these three things, and you're going to be fine, and there's still no substitute. Don't believe it. It's knowing and obeying by the power of the Spirit, the word of God. And that's what Paul and the early church and James and Peter, they all knew. Now, did they stay planted? No, they went out. They learned the word of God and went and took it to the streets. And let's be a church that does that. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you and we uh, pray that you would 
do your mighty work in us. Lord, help us to be people who defer in the right things. Help us to be ones who are flexible in those secondary issues. And that, Lord, help us to never bend on the fact that it's Jesus only who saves. I don't need to give. I don't need to do 28 Bible studies in a week. I don't need to do this. I'm accepted by the blood of your son. Praise the Lord. I've never been more free than that. And I thank you that there's many in here who are the same way. Lord, just bless these folks, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.